Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to our weekly podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I'm Drew Shelley, one of the pastors here. It is our hope and prayer that the message you hear today will help you connect deeply with the love of God we know in Jesus. Also, we'd love to connect with you so that we can share life and faith together. If you'd like more information about this church family, or if you want us to contact you, you can visit our website, fumcm.org, or you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, at FUMC Borough. If you're looking for a place to belong, we have that place for you in one of our classes or small groups, as a part of one of our mission teams, or in either our modern or traditional worship services, which both meet at 1015 on Sunday mornings. First United Methodist Church is a warm and welcoming community of people committed to the idea of growing disciples of Jesus Christ who know Him, love Him, and serve Him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. We hope this week's message helps you in your own personal journey towards knowing, loving, and serving Jesus in your life. We turn now to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. We'll be hearing uh, verses 1 through 12 as our Gospel lesson on this Epiphany Sunday. Let us hear the Word of God. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage." When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy, incense, and myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it is Epiphany Sunday in the life of the church. It is the day we celebrate the arrival of the wise men who came to worship Jesus, who came to bring him gifts fit for a king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and all of that. It is really about the revealing of God to the whole world, not just to our Jewish friends. 
I am sure that you have heard all the dry explanations uh, that, that uh, how we compress our gospel stories into beautiful nativity scenes that are really historically inaccurate. You know, the, the shepherds and the wise men, I know you've heard this, the shepherds and the wise men were probably not there at the same time, although they are there at the same time in our nativity scenes and in our Christmas pageants too. Matthew suggests to us that it took the wise men as much as two years to get to Bethlehem to see the baby Jesus. He wasn't a baby anymore after two years, was he? But we can't have a Christmas pageant that lasts two years. Nobody would come. It would be terrible. What an intermission is that? Yet there is something deeply magical about the Magi, something very appropriate for Christmas time. They are mysterious people, aren't they? They resonate deeply with that seeker within all of us who would love to take two whole years to seek out what God is doing in the world. Who wouldn't love to have two years to seek what God is doing? Mostly, though, we just give a nod to the seekers as we carefully pack them away with the holly and the ivy and the twinkle lights that we've had out all season long. But there is a lot more going on here in Matthew chapter 2. King Herod is frightened to hear of one called King of the Jews. He is King of the Jews, or at least that's what he's convinced everybody to think. He is King of the Jews. He calls together all of his smart people and the religious authorities, the Sanhedrin. They hate Herod and Herod hates them, but they are happy to work together now Because if Herod is frightened, if Herod's power is threatened, then so is theirs. Their power and privilege are threatened too by this new king. They'll do whatever they need to do to maintain this delicate balance of power. Even these good religious leaders have become accustomed to power, control, and riches, which Herod uses like a carrot to maintain the peace of Rome. You can't have quid pro quo without the quid pro and the quo all together working, you see. So that's how this is working with Herod and the religious leaders. It's still true today, isn't it? The the fastest way to get to most politicians, to get most politicians to work together, is not by appealing to their altruistic sensibilities about the good of the whole. That doesn't work very well, does it? What's the fastest way to get politicians to work together? You threaten their self-interest. You threaten their own power. It works in government. It works in the workplace. And sometimes, if we're being honest, it works in the church too, doesn't it? That's just how we are as people. This way of being was at the heart of the first century world into which Jesus was born and into which Matthew tells this story. The Romans had perfected this system of empire in which control and power over people was maintained through a kind of a false peace, a peace that was there but not really there at all. That's how it worked. The Romans, you see, would find political leaders, religious leaders, And they would empower and enrich them. They would say to them, you know what? You keep the peace. 
you will grow rich. You will stay in power. You want to do that? Sure, I'll do that. Just keep focused on the peace. We'll handle the rest. Meanwhile, they are extracting wealth and well-being from every society which they conquer along the way. How long can it last? We don't really know. We'll all be dead by the time we get to the bottom of this thing. Let's just keep going. How long can it last? It doesn't matter. Well, how many people will this way of being hurt? Won't this hurt people? It seems that we are creating classes of people with rich leaders at the top and slaves and servants at the bottom and not very many in the middle here. Those in the middle are squeezed. Those at the bottom are crushed nearly to death. In fact, crushed to death. How many people will this hurt? Oh, oh say the Romans, it doesn't really matter. What do they matter? Anyway, they don't count. Just give them something. Throw them the occasional bone. Keep them happy. Just give them a 2% increase on their SSI income and be sure to pair it with a 1.5% increase on their Medicare premium. That will help give them just enough to to stay happy. Just keep them happy. They are just here to serve us. They are just here to serve us. And my, they sure make a lot of children who will also serve us. The peace of the Roman Empire of any empire, is dependent upon power over others. That's how that kind of false peace works. Herod stands as a signpost of this way of being. When the wise men uh, don't come back to tell Herod where Jesus is, Herod's true colors come out, don't they? You know the rest of the story. We didn't read it, but you know what Herod did. He sent folks and had all of the baby boys up to age two killed in and around Bethlehem. Infanticide, genocide, death. That's what it was. Why did he do that? To maintain his own power and privilege. Why do that? Well, that's what's always at the heart of empire. The power of death and fear wrapped in the artificial twinkle lights of false peace. That's what we're dealing with. The seekers, the wise people, they come from afar looking for some better way of life. As is so often the case with seekers, there is a profound awareness that just because something is just the way the world works doesn't mean that it's the best. God sends them a star, a bright light, a real burning light to show these wise people a better way of being. On the way there... They bump into King Herod and these religious people. They read Micah chapter 5 together. It is so ironic to me that the people who seem to know the most about the birth of Jesus don't really know anything at all about the birth of this Messiah. The wise people press on to Bethlehem. They find toddler Jesus happily crawling around in his onesie on the dirt floor of home. He's just learning how to smile, and he's making those sweet sounds that melt every parent's heart. The Scripture uses four different words for joy. We hear they were overwhelmed with joy when they saw the baby. They poured out gifts fit for a king with gratitude and hope, and they worshiped God in human flesh. These seekers who have as their only witness what they see in creation. They are kneeling before the one true God, nothing to guide them 
but the light, the light that we all seek. These wise people embrace a new way of being that stands over and against Herod and the empire. Matthew, I think, is saying to us, you don't have to choose. You don't have to choose Herod and empire. You can choose God's new way. This baby brings a new thing, not peace through power over others, not that, but the peace of Christ, which comes through the seeking of the good of all people, the wholeness of everybody. That's the peace of God that is at the heart of God's new creation. You see, it lifts all people, not just some people. Sisters and brothers, I I want to say something to you that uh, I think is very important, but also very hard. It may sound political in nature. It is not. It is, in my mind, profoundly theological and biblical. We live in a world that is steeped in the way of King Herod, the way of empire, the power of death and fear wrapped in the artificial twinkle lights of false peace. We live in that world. We dress it up as best as we can. We create policies and systems that we think are helping only to find a few decades later that actually they are keeping people down instead of lifting them up. We work so hard and focus so much on raising test scores and elevating education only to find that we have created three generations of teachers who have to take medicine to go and do the work that ought to be the most fulfilling work in the history of the world. We have done that. We didn't mean to, but we have done that. We have, we have financialized everything from medicine to retail to prison management, so much so that doctors have to see 40 or 50 patients a day just to pay their student loans and earn a living, so much so that our favorite little local stores are all so saddled with debt that it would make a banker weep, so much so that the people charged with rehabilitating our prisoners are incentivized to not, to just not do that. And then, I think, worst of all, there is God's church. In our lifetime, just in our lifetime, how often has the bride of Christ been used on the altar of King Herod Empire, the power of death and fear wrapped in the artificial twinkle lights of false peace. How often have we allowed ourselves to become the the religious arm of the political party of the moment, either one or some other one, whatever you think, to be tangled up in some issue that is really about power and control? I mourn. My heart breaks at how we have drifted from God's mission in the world. I grieve all the people who have wandered away, going in search of something better, while we have tried to protect our own self-interest and just keep our doors open at all costs, whatever the cost may be. And I confess, as your pastor, my own part in that work over the last 15 years, how often have I, have I helped make this worse, not better? I am reminded in all of this, 
of that ancient truth that is so profound and so true, you can put lipstick on the pig, but it still likes to waller in the mud and smells like chitlins most of the time. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I am hopeful today, profoundly hopeful, because God has sent us a burning star, a burning real star, a light to show us the way. Though we are all complicated mixtures of King Herod and religious people and the wise men, we are all invited to choose the way of the baby, God with us forever, who will tenderly show us what it means to live, to lead, to work, and even to govern with God's peace that seeks the good of all people, the wholeness of everybody. It is fundamentally different from the way the world works. But it is our way. It is our way. The way of those who follow Jesus. On this first epiphany, the wise men went home by another way. And so I wonder, I wonder today, will you go home by another more hopeful, grace-filled way today? Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Let's pray together. Oh God, your word brings hope. It brings challenge. It brings conviction. We pray that you will help us to hear your voice calling through the noise of our society, the news, politics, and everything else that you will bind us together in the way of life, a way that seeks the good of all people in everything that we do, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our governments, and even and especially in our churches. Oh, Lord, help us in this new year to be faithful to your call, to lay aside our differences, and to take up this one thing that binds us together forever. We pray it in the name of Jesus, and may the people of God say, Amen.